Well, I don't know about you, but I thoroughly enjoyed those songs that we just sang a few moments ago. I love the one line that says, sin has lost its hold on me, has lost its grip. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. What incredible lyrics to sing on an Easter Sunday morning. And if it were not for the death of Jesus, for his shed blood, for his innocent shed blood on the cross, were it not for the fact that three days later he rose victoriously from the grave, conquering not only sin but death itself, we would have absolutely no reason to be gathered here today. But because what Matt said has been verified even by our own Northwest people, that tomb is empty, and I say to you this morning, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's why we gather here this morning. That's it. It's not to show off your new Easter dress or your new Easter suit. It's not for that purpose. It's not so that you can go home and eat mom's good home-cooked meal that you know, you've been suffering as you've been there at college. and now. It's not so you can have an Easter egg hunt. It is all about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's why we gather here today. Well, I like things that are new. I like things that are, that are brand new, actually. There's nothing like getting something that, that's, that's new, that's never been used by anybody else. The only thing better that's used the new is a pair of jeans. Do you, do you agree with me there? You ever gotten a new pair of jeans and gone, I don't know why I bought these things, because I like the old ones. Guys, I know you're with me. Come on, support me here. Support a brother, all right? I know you're there with me. I, that, that's the only thing. They just feel like, you know, when you get those new jeans, they're, they're, they're just too stiff. And come to think about it, that's true for t-shirts as well. And sweatshirts. Okay, let's be honest, guys. Anything we wear, we would rather it be very used, right, than, than new. But for the most part, seriously, new things are really, are really great. And have you ever noticed how quickly new things become old? You ever notice that, that you got something that's new and very quickly it becomes old? It breaks. Parents, we know this every Christmas, right? We get these toys that these kids have to have, and they get the toy, and before too long, you find it discarded in the corner or at the bottom of some box someplace because it breaks and it gets old and it doesn't function like it used to function. We bought a new car last fall, and let me just tell you that for the Eisner household to buy a new family car, that was a very, very, very big deal. And it was exciting to drive home that brand new 2012 Honda Pilot, the silver one. I didn't want the red one or the green, I wanted the silver one. And I remember coming down 55 after leaving the dealership and looking down at the odometer, and this just shows you how weird I actually am, and I looked down at the odometer and I thought, it's already a used car. They just bought it. It's only got five miles on it, but it's already used. It's no longer new. The miles are already adding up. And, you know, given my problems that I have sometimes, I'm just thinking, why did I do it? Why did I buy the new car? It's already, and I'm just, literally, I've been in the thing for 10 minutes. And then you put the kids in the back seat. Some of you parents, especially of younger kids, you know how this goes. You put the kids in the back seat, and all of a sudden, you're looking down on the floor going, what is this? Right? Any parents there with me? All right, I've seen some of your minivans. I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You know where I am. And then you pick up a sweaty 17-year-old and his friends from football practice. And I'm just telling you, after that, the new car smell, it has gone. 
It has been replaced with something else. Can I get an amen? That's what's happened. And suddenly that brand new car, well, it's not so brand new anymore. And let's not forget about that first door ding while I'm at it. Right? And, and, and what's worse is when the first door ding happens at church. That's what, that's what the bad thing is, right? And I, and I want to say this morning, because I am slightly OCD, and this really bothers me just a little bit, those little dings on the side of my car. If I can look up and down the side and I see the little dings, I, I say to those of you that do that, stop it. Don't do that. It really bothers people like me, all right? All right, let's get on with the Easter message now. I think I've got that taken care of, and hopefully we'll... Not have any more door dings. But all these things happen and suddenly new things become used. They become broken. They don't work anymore. And it doesn't take too long in the new car before, you know, you were parking at the farthest parking place. <laughs> You've been there with me? And then all of a sudden you go, man, where's the closest space? Because I got enough door dings now that it really doesn't matter. I just don't really want to walk very far. It's not new anymore. Things break. Paint fades. Seats get dirty and such is life. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to a very familiar passage. In fact, uh, even if you're not used to being here at church, you're not used to using your Bible, it'd be very easy for you. Genesis chapter 1, it's right there, right at the beginning. In Genesis 1, we read that God created everything and everything was brand new. Now, I want to read to you this morning, I'm going to read to you out of the message, and I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1. You follow along there in your Bible with me, but I, I think it's important for us to read this paraphrase of Genesis chapter 1. God created the heavens and the earth, all you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness and inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss and God spoke light, and the light appeared. God saw that the light was good and separated light from dark. God named the light day, and he named the dark night, and it was evening, and it was morning, and that was day one. Verses six to eight, God spoke. Sky, in the middle of the water, separate water from water. God made sky. He separated the water under the sky from the water above the sky, and there it was. He named the sky the heavens. It was evening, and it was morning, and that was day two. Verses nine to ten, God spoke. Separate. Water beneath the heaven, gather into one place, land appear. And there it was. God named the land earth. He named the pooled water ocean, and God said that it was good. Verses 11 to 13, God spoke, earth, green up, grow all varieties of seed-bearing plants, every sort of fruit-bearing tree. And there it was. Earth produced green seed-bearing plants, all varieties and fruit-bearing trees of all sorts. God saw that it was good. It was evening. It was morning. And that was day three. Verses 14 to 15, God spoke, lights come out, shine in heaven's sky, separate day from night, mark seasons and days and years, lights in heaven's sky to give light to the earth, and there it was. Verses 16 to 19, God made two big lights, the larger to take charge of the day, the smaller to be in charge of the night, and he made the stars. God placed them in the heavenly sky to light up the earth and oversee day and night to separate light and dark. God saw it was good, it was evening, it was morning, and that was day four. Verses 20 to 23, God spoke, swarm ocean with fish and all sea life and birds fly through the sky all over the earth. And God created the huge whales, all the swarm of life in the waters and every kind and species of flying birds. God saw that it was very good. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill oceans, birds, reproduce on earth. It was evening, it was morning, and that was day five. Verses 24 to 25, God spoke, earth, generate life, every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles and wild animals, not snakes, because I don't, oh, that's not what it said right there, I just want to get there. 
And there it was, wild animals of every kind, cattle of all kinds, every sort of reptile and bug, and God saw that it was good. Verses 26 to 28, God spoke, Let us make human beings in our own image. Make them reflecting our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Verses 29 to 30, it says, Then God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food. To all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes, I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. And then look at verse 31. God looked over everything he'd made. It was so good. So very good. It was evening. It was morning. And that was day six. And we know that on day seven, God did what? He rested. Everything was new and it was great. I know I'd say a lot to you, those of you that are here at Northwest, that I tell you about a favorite verse, and I have lots of favorite verses. Verse 31 of chapter 1 of Genesis is one of my favorite verses where in verse 31, God says, it's good. It is very good. You ever read that and thought, wow, I wish I would have been there? I wish I would have been there because it's not so good right now. Maybe that's where you are in your life right now. I wish I'd have been back there because everything looked good. It was good. All the air was clean. Everything was good. There there was no sin. It was very, very good. And it was good for just a while. Until something happened that has affected every human being that has ever walked on planet Earth. In fact, if you were to flip over there now to chapter 2 and verses 16 to 17, God commanded the man, you can eat from the tree in the garden except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. You ever wonder where that comes from? I I was talking to a parent just this week who has a little two-year-old, and he said the two-year-old has just now started to look at him when he says, don't do that, and the two-year-old kind of looks at him like, do you really mean that? Uh, Maybe what you're telling me is not to touch that because it's good to touch that, right? You ever wonder where that came from? It came from Genesis chapter 2. God said, don't eat of that tree. You can eat of everything else. Just don't eat of that tree. And if you do, you're dead. And we know that Adam and his wife Eve couldn't stay away from that one tree, right? You wonder where that problem comes in the human condition that you and I struggle with just today, where God gives you this and this isn't yours and you're to stay away from that. And what is the one thing that we want to touch? It's the one thing that God says, that's not yours. This is where that came from. That one decision to disobey God, in fact, has affected affected every person that has ever been born to any parents. And God made the consequences of that sin very clear. If you flip over to chapter 3, you'll notice in chapter 3, as that text goes on, that God makes it very clear what the consequences would be. Number one, there would be a struggle between God and Satan. And God will eventually crush Satan's head because of his finished work on the cross at Calvary. Number two, there would be pain in childbirth. If you've had a child or if you've been in the room when a child is being born, you know to this day that is true, all right? I told my wife I didn't really think it was that big of a deal, but it is, it is. She took exception to that, yes. There's pain in childbirth. 
And this is where it started, right in the book of Genesis, early on. Number three, there would be struggles in the relationship of a husband and wife. God would put order in a family, but for this reason, because of sin, there would be struggle in that relationship. And the way it's made it out in our culture is that women want to dominate. Women don't want their husbands to lead. And husbands, there's a lot of us that are quite willing to be passive and to absolve our responsibility to lead and lovingly guide our families, that's all a result of the fall. Number four, the ground is cursed. And it's going to take hard labor to produce food. I know some of you worked in your yards just this weekend, and you can attest to the fact that that's still part of the curse, right? The ground is hard. There are weeds. There are things that have to be taken care of. It's all as a result of the fall. And number five, here is the greatest thing I believe that happened as a result of the fall. Eventually, people will be put in the ground. Eventually, people will be put in the ground. And not just that person that you know that is sick right now with some type of a terminal illness. Let me remind you that we are all terminally ill, physically speaking. We will all die. We are all dying. Our bodies are decaying. And that is a result of the fall. By sin, human beings at that moment, that moment of decision, that moment of original sin, became mortal. We became mortal. And it is only by God's mercy that Adam and Eve didn't immediately die the moment that they ate of that fruit. But they, at that particular moment, became subject to all of the sufferings and the miseries of life. They became subject to death and ultimately to the pain and the separation from God in hell forever and ever and ever. What a desperate, desperate situation because we read very clearly that now death was part of life. Death was part of the human experience. In fact, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. I read with interest about a week ago about a Russian who was in search of eternal life. I thought that was interesting. It's a Russian multimillionaire who's targeting the business community to raise money to fund a project that aims to make immortality a reality by 2045. Aren't you glad? Some of you are doing the calculations going right now, going, okay, that's about 32 years. Can I make it? I don't know if I can make it. It may sound like something straight out of a science fiction novel, but Dmitry Itzkov, a 35-year-old media mogul, is seeking investors to fund research for technology that he says will make eternal life possible by transferring human consciousness in an artificial form to avatars, robotic bodies. I read that and thought, that doesn't even sound too interesting to me. I don't know how it works, but he's convinced it does work. He says, Itzkoff said that he's not ignorant of the fact that some people may be hesitant. Oh, really? (laughs) Smart Russian guy there, he is. Even reluctant, he says, to consider a future where humans upload their consciousness to a robot. Who, me? Skeptical? I'm not, are you skeptical? Wouldn't you want to upload your human consciousness to an avatar, to a robot? He does go on to say, though, however, he said that for the human species to survive, An evolutionary change is necessary, and humans need to be thinking of a long-term solution for their existence. That's what he wrote. Let me just tell you this. Easter gives us the long-term solution to our existence. Doesn't it? Just as sin in the Garden of Eden changed everything, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection three days later also changed everything. 
In fact, one pastor that I read this week said this, on Good Friday, Jesus and Satan both believed it is finished. Easter Sunday proves which one was right. Isn't that good? The foundationary truth of Christianity rests solely on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In fact, the resurrection means that sin and death and hopelessness do not win. Jesus wins. And here's the really cool thing, that if you sit here this morning and you find yourself in an incredibly hopeless situation, maybe you sit here this morning and, and you're out of a job, your, your, your finances are in disarray, maybe your marriage is in disarray, maybe you are sick and you are facing death every single day of your now abbreviated life, Wherever you find yourself this morning, Easter says that Jesus wins. The grave does not win. The empty tomb is the final word of Jesus. It means Jesus really did die for our sins. And as a result of dying for our sins and rising again to guarantee our salvation and our eternal life, that is what Easter is all about. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You realize that we all like new things, but as a result of sin, do you recognize this morning that we are all broken people? I think the incredible truth of Easter is that God is able to make beautiful things out of dust. God's able to make beautiful things out of broken things, out of ashes. I love Ephesians chapter 2. It's another one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, where Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. It doesn't mean physically dead. It means spiritually dead. As I've preached this passage before, I've talked about we were basically spiritual zombies walking around. I know some of you are watching those shows right now on TVs about the zombies. I do not get that. I do not understand that at all. don't understand why you would take the time to watch that when there's so many basketball games. But you're watching zombies, all right? I do understand why some of you NC State fans and you Carolina fans might do that, however, because, you know, well, I'm just saying, okay? Don't get up and walk out. It's Easter Sunday. All right, there's a fascination with zombies, and here's the truth that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. That's what we all are. We are spiritual zombies walking around. We are dead men, dead women walking. But I love verse 4. But God being rich in mercy. Man, I'm so glad he's rich in mercy, aren't you? I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm glad his mercies are new every morning because I use mine up every single day. But in the morning, those mercies are new again because God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, we were zombies walking around in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing richness of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God has made a way for that sin debt to be paid so that we might enjoy the relationship we were created to have a relationship with our Creator.
life could really change at all All this earth Could all that is lost ever be found Could a garden come up from this ground at came in this morning, wondered why there were middle school girls taking your pictures. Many of you got a quick 
little picture taken, something uh, like this. If you did, I want you to take it out here for just a moment. I want you to take that out, and I want you to look at that little snapshot of you and your face. That, that, that's you. And I want to tell you this morning that since all of us here this morning have sinned, we've accrued a, a debt that has to be paid and cannot be paid on our own. I don't know about all the details of your sin. I'm sure you're glad that I don't. <laughs> I'm really glad you don't know all the details about my debt that has to be paid. Your debt might include greed. It might include lust. It might include uh, gossip. Uh, you might be an addict. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day what you've done. According to Romans 3.23, uh, Scripture makes it very clear that uh, we have all sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory, his standard of holiness, and we've missed the mark. And so this morning, each one of us really ultimately falls into one of five positions related to our sin debt. I want you to, as I talk over these next few minutes, I want you just to look at that picture, and I want you to place yourself in one of these five categories this morning. Number one you may be here this morning, and as you look down at that snapshot, this is what describes you. You are forgiven and you are free. If you're here this morning and you have placed your trust in Christ alone as your personal Savior for the payment of your sin, I want to tell you this morning, you are free. In fact, you could take that little sticker that you were given, and you could take that sticker off, as I'm going to do right here, and I'm going to stick it right on top of that picture. It says, all things are new. I am new. I am a, I'm a new creation. My sin debt has been paid in full by the God of the universe, and I am no longer a slave to sin. And so Easter Sunday morning for me is incredible, because I know that was when the debt was satisfied. It was marked paid in full. And I am constantly, consistently, day by day, being more closely conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new is constantly coming. You might be forgiven and free. I know a number of you are, and I pray that you are this morning. Number two, you may be here this morning, and as you look down at that picture, you know you're forgiven, but you're not living as if you've been forgiven. You're living as if you have not been forgiven. Here's the sad reality that a number of you have placed your trust in Christ alone as your personal Savior, but you don't live like your sin debt has been paid. I want to tell you this morning, you simply need to be reminded on this Easter morning that you are no longer found guilty of your sin. Your sin debt, the consequences of it, have been washed away. They have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you are free. Here's the truth. Satan would love nothing more this morning than if you've placed your trust in Christ alone for you to buy in the idea that somehow you're not free, that somehow you still have to, to do something and the anguish and the weight and the guilt of that sin is still heavy upon you. I want to tell you this morning and I want to say it to you in a convincing way that you are free. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 5, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to the yoke of slavery. You've been set free. You're no longer bound. You're free. Don't walk around with a ball and chain. You're free. Number three, you may be here this morning and you're unforgiven, but you don't care. 
Because you don't believe that there is a God and you believe that if, even if there is a God that somehow you are not accountable to him for your sin. I, I want to say to you, if you find yourself in that position, thanks for being here today. I really admire the fact that you would come into a place like this, that you would take the time to be here on an Easter Sunday morning, even though you don't believe what I'm saying to you this morning. I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you've given us the opportunity to tell you that we believe that Jesus Christ lived on this earth, that he suffered and bled and died for our sin, and then three days later he rose victoriously from the grave. And I pray that God will reveal himself to you. There's a fourth category of people who are unforgiven, Because you believe that your sin debt somehow is too big and you can never be forgiven. And so you live each day with the guilt and anguish of your messed up life. I want to tell you this morning, there is freedom in Christ this morning. That is what Easter is all about. It's not about about candy and eggs and bunnies. It's about freedom. And if that describes you this morning, it's great news that Jesus came to save messed up people. Messed up people even in Cary, North Carolina. Have you noticed in Cary, North Carolina that not too many of us on the outside look messed up? You go downtown Durham this morning, you go downtown Raleigh, and you'll see people and you'll go, well, they're messed up because of the way they look on the outside. Let me tell you, Cary, North Carolina is full of messed up people because we are born in a sinful condition. And our sin has separated us from God. When the Pharisees and the scribes, in fact, criticized Jesus for eating meals with messed up people, here's what Jesus said. If you're in category four this morning and you think you're too messed up, God couldn't change your life, he couldn't make your life new, here's what Jesus said. In Luke 5, Jesus answered and said to them, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what God came for. That's why we say this place is a hospital. You're sitting around messed up people. Sick people came in here this morning. A sick pastor is talking to you this morning. And that's what Jesus came for. Maybe you're in category number five. Category number five is you're unforgiven, but you're trying each day to do enough good to pay for your sin debt your own way. And although that's impossible, many people try. I have lots of friends that live right in Northwest Cary who are good, well-meaning people and they are doing lots of good things. They go to church every single Sunday morning. They say prayers that they're supposed to say. They do the right things all during the week and they're nice to their neighbors and they do all of these things as if somehow they might attain the favor of God and somehow might attain payment for their sin debt. It's impossible, but many people try. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved, through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the free gift of God. And the reason it's free is because he doesn't want us to boast. Here's the simple truth. We'll never be good enough, but God is big enough. And Christ's death on the cross paid the price, and his resurrection three days later sealed the deal. I said to you earlier, and I really believe this is true, and I hope if you've placed yourself in one of those five categories this morning, if you're in category one, I trust that you've placed that little sticker, all things new, on there. If you're in category two, I pray that you've placed that. If you're in category three and you're just not sure any of this is true, I 
pray that you'll consider it. If you're in category number four and you think that God's not big enough, you're too big of a sinner, all you have to do is call upon the name of Jesus, believe that he suffered and bled and died on a cross for your sin, and all things can be made new. Your, your account can be marked paid in full. If you're in number five and you're trying to earn it on your own, I would say give up, forget it. It's not gonna happen. Trust in Christ alone this morning as your Savior. Easter is the long-term solution to our sin debt, which separates us from God, which separates us from eternal life. And a Russian multimillionaire can spend all of his money and all of his friends' money trying to attain and trying to find eternal life, living our consciousness through robots. That Russian millionaire and his buddies will never accomplish what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Never be possible. Jesus is the answer. He came that we might have life, that all things might be made new. He came to make a way for us to be reconciled to the God we were created to know, the God that sin separated us from. And here's the good news of Easter for all human beings. And it's wrapped up in one verse. Love this verse too. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's Easter. He came to find the lost. He came to make everything new. And to trust in anything other than Christ's death and that subsequently his resurrection is to be eternally disappointed. I trust that you won't let that happen on Easter Sunday, 2013. That you'll find your position with regards to sin and to a Savior. And you'll recognize that he came to make all things new, to pay a debt you and I couldn't possibly pay on our own. Bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Before I pray, I would be very remiss if on an Easter Sunday morning I didn't give you the opportunity to respond to what you just heard. Some of you have heard it over and over and over again. In fact, for some of you, it becomes white noise. You've heard the gospel so many times that you've become calloused to it. If you're here this morning and you say, Brian, I'm in category number three, four, or five. I either have not believed that there was a God and I was not accountable to him, or number two, I just believe I'm too messed up, he can't do anything with me. Or number three, I've been working for my sin and I know I'm going to be eternally disappointed unless I place my trust in Christ alone as my Savior. If that's you this morning and you would just uh, be humble enough, and I pray that you would be in a, in, a, in a group of messed up people, would you just slip up your hand and say, hey, pray for me this morning. I want to make sure I am in the right position with the God of the universe. Pray for me this morning. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to see your hand just so I can pray for you. Just slip it up and slip it right back down. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Slip it right up. Thanks. Slip it right back down. If you raised your hand this morning, many of you did, or if you didn't raise your hand but you know that you are not in a right position with God. All God requires of us is to agree with him that we're a sinner and our sin has separated us from him and to place our trust alone in his finished work on the cross. And you can pray something like this this morning. Dear Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from you. I believe that on an Easter 
day, 2,000 years ago, I believe that you suffered and you bled and you died and then you rose again, conquering death and conquering my sin. You paid the sin debt that I couldn't possibly pay on my own and I place my trust in you alone. Make me new. You pray that prayer. And scripture is very clear that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. All things will be new. And Father, I pray for some that may have just prayed that prayer. God, we know that you created this earth to be good. You created it perfect. Yet human beings, we messed it up. We sinned. We disobeyed. As a result of that, we find ourselves in the position that we do now. But God, I thank, I'm so thankful that you made a way. That you didn't leave us just to walk around as spiritually, spiritual zombies, but you made a way through Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the cross of Calvary. I thank you that you've made it possible for all things to become new, to take broken things and put them back together again to take messed up people and set them on a right path, to enjoy the relationship that we were created to have. And I pray for those that may have prayed that prayer just this morning. God, I pray now that they would seek out someone who can help, help them to grow in their newfound faith. God, those of us that confidently put that sticker across our, our snapshot saying all things are new, God, I pray that we would live that way. Cause us not to live like we are still under the bondage of sin but to live as free people, those who have been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. We pray these things in Jesus' name.